I don't want to live in a country where no one ever says anything that offends anyone. That's why we have Canada. Coming up on Philosophy Talk. Is there such a thing as too much tolerance? How could there possibly be such a thing as too much tolerance? Do I really have to tolerate opinions that deprive me of my rights? The irony is that they were so tolerant, they were tolerating intolerance. That's certainly That's an so example. That's so interesting. So tolerant, you're tolerating prejudice. Because each time I feel it slip away Just makes me want to cry What's so fun about peace of understanding You refuse to bake me a wedding cake. I kick you out of my restaurant. Is this the world we want to live in? Our guest is Regina Reno from York University. Late Show Tolerance Tips. Tip number one, stop being paranoid jerks. The limits of tolerance. Well, that's it for the Late Show Tolerance Tips. Coming up on Philosophy Talk. What should you do in the face of radical disagreement? Do you live and let live or try to convince the other person they're wrong? Aren't some ideas just too terrible to tolerate? Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm Ray Briggs. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of KLW San Francisco. Continuing conversations that begin at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus, where Ken and I teach philosophy. And Ray, welcome back to the host chair. It's been a while. Glad to have you on board. Ah, oh, thanks. Today, we're thinking about tolerance and radical disagreement. What happens when your moral and political ideals put you deeply at odds with my uh, moral and political ideas? Well, we agree to disagree. You like Katy Perry, I like Taylor Swift. What's the problem? Well, right, that might work for, like, ice cream or something. I'm not going to get bent out of shape because your taste different from mine. But I'm thinking about serious moral issues. I mean, what if one person thinks, for example, that abortion is a fundamental human right, and the other thinks that abortion is just outright murder? Well, yeah, I think even with something as morally and politically divisive as abortion, we should still live and let live. Sounds nice, Ray, but have you tried telling that to, like, those pro-lifers marching in the streets or even to pro-choice people. I mean, let's see how far you get with that with either side. Well, yeah, I'm not saying they have to like each other. The sides just have to tolerate each other. Okay, I, I like that word tolerance. That's a nice buzzword. But tell me, what exactly do you mean by that? I mean that even if I completely disagree with your views, even if I regard you as benighted for holding them, still I can express your right to hold, express, and to some extent act on them. Well, that sounds a little like begrudging, don't you think? I mean, it's like you're saying to me, okay, Ken, everything you believe is stupid or mm -hmm. immoral, and you're stupid and immoral for believing it, but hey, <laughs> I accept your right to be stupid and immoral if that's what floats your boat. Yeah. Gee, thanks, Ray. What more do you want? Well, I don't know. I mean, how about a little, like, positive affirmation? How about a little respect? Well, it seems like a lot to ask. Why should everyone have to affirm you? Well, it's not just about me, right? It's a fundamental human need, this need for respect and affirmation. And, geez, how would you feel if, like, your partner barely tolerated you? Oh, yeah, I'd hate that, but that's about my life partner. I don't want to be intimate with most of my fellow citizens. Oh, like, good, good. It's all I can do to put up with them. Gee, Ray, you, you, you got a dim view of your fellow human beings, I think. Yeah, now that you mention it, I, I guess I do. All those religious fundamentalists shoving their beliefs down my throat and anti-vaxxers spreading disease and climate deniers destroying the planet? Ugh, some of those views aren't just wrong, they're downright dangerous. Uh, frustrating, isn't it, Ray? I mean... 
Don't you uh, wish you could talk some sense into all those awful people? Uh, fat chance of that. They're not going to listen to me. <laughs> well, okay, maybe, uh, maybe they won't. Maybe they won't listen to a philosopher and all that. But don't you think, come on, in your heart of hearts, don't you think the world would be a much better place if just more people were willing to listen? Yeah, of course. I want more people to listen to me. Well, then you have to listen to other people, Ray. You have to listen to those vaxxers and fundamentalists. That's only fair. Ah, uh, but I'm right and they're wrong. Oh, come on, Ray. Now you're just being dogmatic. How do you know they're wrong if you won't even hear them out? Yeah, seriously, Ken, though, what about flat earthers or Holocaust deniers or homophobes who want to put people through conversion therapy? Sometimes an idea is just so ignorant and so morally bankrupt that it's not even worth considering. Well, uh, maybe. I mean, especially if the view is, like, so clearly, objectively, morally bankrupt that any person could see it. But, you know, Ray, you can't dismiss every view that disturbs you. I mean, you can't mistake your own deep abhorrence and disturbance at a view for, like... The moral truth. Yeah, but how do you tell the difference between views that are outside the bounds of reasonable debate and views that deserve a fair hearing, even when you find them deeply disturbing? Well, that's an excellent question. And to help us think about that excellent question, we sent our roving philosophical reporter, Nena Genser-Debs, to learn more about camps that try to instruct kids in empathy and understanding and to demonstrate to them the limits of tolerance. She files this report. Reporter Karen DeSaw's kids are grown now, but when they were teens, they, like 10,000 other kids from the Bay Area, attended a several-day retreat that aims to teach high schoolers empathy and leadership skills. Here's a recent promo video for one of these types of camps. Camp Anytown has taught me that knowledge is power, and if I utilize my voice, I can make a difference in the world, no matter how big or small. I learned that as long as we stand together, we can accomplish so much more. A few summers ago, many years after attending as a camper, Karen's daughter was asked to come back to camp, this time as a counselor. Karen is an investigative reporter at the San Francisco Chronicle. When her daughter came home afterwards, she was concerned by what she had seen. And so Karen started to ask some questions. Then I talked to some teachers, and they had some really, really deep concerns about what had gone on. And um, they were, at, in one instance, actually kind of horrified. During her reporting, Karen ended up visiting two different camps, Camp Diversity and Camp Everytown in the Santa Cruz Mountains. And what she found disturbed her. Kids were divided up by identifying factors like race, ethnicity, disability, gender, and asked to speak about and role play stereotypes. They really try to take the students who are between 14 and 18 into really, really raw emotional places around issues of racial prejudice, discrimination, sexual harassment, abuse, suicide. It gets very intense very quickly and often in very unsuspecting ways. Terrorists, they're all terrorists. Put that in big letters, terrorists. Are you Jews waiting for the train or what? The Mexican brown group will clean up because they're good at it. This is from video footage that Chronicle photojournalist Gabrielle Lurie took of Richard Valenzuela engaging in a lunchtime segregation exercise. He was the director at Camp Diversity at the time. And during exercises, Valenzuela would taunt students. I instigate some areas for them to be able to reveal uh, and to learn because the kids then, you know, can deal with it or have to deal with it. We're hoping that they become less vulnerable. The basis for Camp Everytown's programming is an idea called contact theory, or contact hypothesis, 
The most commonly understood version of this idea comes from a book called The Nature of Prejudice, written in 1954 by social psychologist Gordon Allport. He compiled a couple of decades of research and said that under appropriate conditions, interpersonal contact could be one of the best ways to reduce prejudice between majority and minority groups. But Karen emphasized to me that the camp's practices are not rooted in any evidence-based research on effective empathy building. And when she was reporting this story and considering the well-intentioned goals of the camp, she kept a post-it on her computer that said, at what cost? For a lot of the white students, there were real eye-opening experiences. They didn't really get kind of the depth of the pain of discrimination. But it kind of came at the expense of those students uh, who had suffered the discrimination, but also kind of opened them up for, for the problem of kind of limited aftercare. Karen says the kids would sometimes share experiences like sexual abuse or even thoughts of suicide, revisiting really traumatic moments. But there weren't mental health professionals present or resources in place to help the campers continue to process and heal after sharing. Within that four days, I cut, I probably cut a lot more than I would have within two weeks. That's Carmel Evans. She's a high schooler who attended Camp Everytown in Boulder Creek in the fall of 2017. She suffered from depression before the camp and said that while her experience was amazing, she loved the intimacy and closeness that the camp fosters. She also found it really difficult. I felt like maybe they needed to talk about coping skills because they they made us feel these intense emotions and then they were kind of like, okay, circle up time, time to be cheery and happy, but what do you do when you can't pull yourself out of it? Executive Director Twin Fayak of Silicon Valley Faces, the organization that runs Camp Everytown, wrote a statement that addressed the Chronicle's reporting. She challenged some of the representations, but also announced that they invited various experts to camp to provide feedback. In response, Camp Everytown is instituting changes in training and curriculum that prioritize self-care and trauma-informed practices and partnerships with other youth services. We all want to see kids come together. It's kind of a hard thing to challenge because if you critique the way they're going about this, it sounds like you don't care about those goals, even if you do. Pushing these teens to or even beyond their limits might help encourage some towards more tolerance and empathy, but for others, it may do more harm than good. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Nina Gensler-Debs. You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.